0: Of Human Bondage by William Somerset Maugham. Chapter thirty seven, segment one. At first, the novelty of the work kept Philip interested. Mr. Carter dictated letters to him, and he had to make fair copies of statements of accounts. Mr. Carter preferred to conduct the office on gentlemanly lines. He would have nothing to do with typewriting, and looked upon shorthand with disfavor. THE OFFICE BOY KNEW SHORTHAND, BUT IT WAS ONLY MR. GOODWORTHY WHO MADE USE OF HIS ACCOMPLISHMENT. NOW AND THEN PHILIP, WITH ONE OF THE MORE EXPERIENCED CLERKS, WENT OUT TO AUDIT THE ACCOUNTS OF SOME FIRM. HE CAME TO KNOW WHICH OF THE CLIENTS MUST BE TREATED WITH RESPECT, AND WHICH WERE IN LOW WATER. NOW AND THEN LONG LISTS OF FIGURES WERE GIVEN HIM TO ADD UP. HE ATTENDED LECTURES FOR HIS FIRST EXAMINATION. MR. GOODWORTHY REPEATED TO HIM, that the work was dull at first, but he would grow used to it. Philip left the office at six, and walked across the river to Waterloo. His supper was waiting for him when he reached his lodgings, and he spent the evening reading. On Saturday afternoons he went to the National Gallery. Hayward had recommended to him a guide, which had been compiled out of Ruskin's works, and with this in hand he went industriously through room after room. He read carefully what the critics had said about a picture, and then, in a determined fashion, set himself to see the same things in it. His Sundays were difficult to get through. He knew no one in London, and spent them by himself. Mr. Nixon, the solicitor, asked him to spend a Sunday at Hampstead, and Philip passed a happy day with a set of exuberant strangers. He ate and drank a great deal took a walk on the heath, and came away with a general invitation to come again whenever he liked. But he was morbidly afraid of being in the way, so he waited for a formal invitation. Naturally enough, it never came, for with numbers of friends of their own, the Nixons did not think of the lonely, silent boy whose claim upon their hospitality was so small. So on Sundays he got up late and took a walk along the towpath. End of segment. One. Chapter 37 Segment 2 At Barnes the river is muddy, dingy, and tidal. It has neither the graceful charm of the Thames above the locks, nor the romance of the crowded stream below London Bridge. In the afternoon, he walked about the common, and that is gray and dingy too. It is neither country nor town. The gorse is unstunted, and all about is the litter of civilization. He went to a play every Saturday night, and stood cheerfully for an hour or more at the gallery door. It was not worth while to go back to Barnes for the interval between the closing of the museum and his meal in an ABC shop, and the time hung heavily on his hands. He strolled up Bond Street, or through the Burlington Arcade, and when he was tired went and sat down in the park, or in wet weather in the public library in St. Martin's Lane. He looked at the people walking about, and envied them because they had friends. Sometimes his envy turned to hatred, because they were happy and he was miserable. He had never imagined that it was possible to be so lonely in a great city. Sometimes when he was standing at the gallery door, THE MAN NEXT TO HIM WOULD ATTEMPT A CONVERSATION, BUT PHILIP HAD THE COUNTRY BOY'S SUSPICION OF STRANGERS, AND ANSWERED IN SUCH A WAY AS TO PREVENT ANY FURTHER ACQUAINTANCE. AFTER THE PLAY WAS OVER, OBLIGED TO KEEP TO HIMSELF ALL HE THOUGHT ABOUT IT, HE HURRIED ACROSS THE BRIDGE TO WATERLOO. WHEN HE GOT BACK TO HIS ROOMS, IN WHICH FOR ECONOMY NO FIRE HAD BEEN LIT, HIS HEART SANK. IT WAS HORRIBLY CHEERLESS. He began to loathe his lodgings and the long solitary evenings he spent in them. Sometimes he felt so lonely that he could not read, and then he sat looking into the fire hour after hour in bitter wretchedness. He had spent three months in London now, and except for that one Sunday at Hampstead had never talked to anyone but his fellow clerks. One evening Watson asked him to dinner at a restaurant, and they went to a music hall together but he felt shy and uncomfortable. Watson talked all the time of things he did not care about, and while he looked upon Watson as a Philistine, he could not help admiring him. He was angry because Watson obviously set no store on his culture, and with his way of taking himself at the estimate at which he saw others held him, he began to despise the acquirements which till then had seemed to him not unimportant. He felt for the first time the humiliation of poverty. His uncle sent him fourteen pounds a month, and he had to buy a good deal many clothes. His evening suit cost him five guineas. He had not dared tell Watson that it was bought in the Strand. Watson said there was only one tailor in London. "'I suppose you don't dance,' said Watson, one day, with a glance at Philip's club foot. "'No,' said Philip. "'Pity!' I've been asked to bring some dancing men to a ball. I could have introduced you to some jolly girls. End of Segment 2 Chapter 37, Segment 3 Once or twice, hating the thought of going back to Barnes, Philip had remained in town and late in the evening wandered through the West End till he found some house at which there was a party. He stood among the little group of shabby people, behind the footmen, watching the guests arrive, and he listened to the music that floated through the window. Sometimes, notwithstanding the cold, a couple came onto the balcony and stood for a moment to get some fresh air, and Philip, imagining that they were in love with one another, "'turned away, and limped along the street with a heavy heart. "'He would never be able to stand in that man's place. "'He felt that no woman could ever really look upon him "'without distaste for his deformity. "'That reminded him of Miss Wilkinson. "'He thought of her without satisfaction. "'Before parting, they had made an arrangement "'that she would write to Charing Cross Post Office "'till he was able to send her an address, "'and when he went there he found three letters from her.' She wrote on blue paper with violet ink, and she wrote in French. Philip wondered why she could not write in English like a sensible woman, and her passionate expressions, because they reminded him of a French novel, left him cold. She upbraided him for having not written, and when he answered he excused himself by saying that he had been busy. He did not quite know how to start the letter. He could not bring himself to use dearest or darling, and he hated to address her as Emily, so finally he began with the word, Dear. It looked odd, standing by itself, and rather silly, but he made it do. It was the first love-letter he had ever written, and he was conscious of its tameness. He felt that he should say all sorts of vehement things, how he thought of her every minute of the day, and how he longed to kiss her beautiful hands, and how he trembled at the thought of her red lips but some inexplicable modesty prevented him, and instead he told her of his new rooms and his office. End of Segment 3 Chapter 37, Segment 4 The answer came by a return of post, angry, heartbroken, reproachful, "'How could he be so cold? "'Did he not know that she hung on his letters? "'She had given him all that a woman could give, "'and this was her reward. "'Was he tired of her already?' "'Then, because he did not reply for several days, "'Miss Wilkinson bombarded him with letters. "'She could not bear his unkindness. "'She waited for the post, "'and it never brought her his letter. "'She cried herself to sleep night after night.' She was looking so ill that everyone remarked on it. If he did not love her, why did he not say so? She added that she could not live without him, and the only thing was for her to commit suicide. She told him he was cold and selfish and ungrateful. It was all in French, and Philip knew that she wrote in that language to show off. But he was worried all the same. He did not want to make her unhappy. In a little while she wrote that she could not bear the separation any longer. She would arrange to come over to London for Christmas. Philip wrote back that he would like nothing better, only he had already an engagement to spend Christmas with friends in the country, and he did not see how he could break it. She answered that she did not wish to force herself on him. It was quite evident that he did not wish to see her. She was deeply hurt, and she never thought he would repay with such cruelty... "'All her kindness.' "'Her letter was touching, "'and Philip thought he saw marks of tears on the paper. "'He wrote an impulsive reply, "'saying that he was dreadfully sorry "'and imploring her to come. "'But it was with relief that he received her letter "'in which she said that she found it would be impossible "'for her to get away. "'Presently, when her letters came, his heart sank. "'He delayed opening them, "'for he knew what they would contain.' "'angry reproaches and pathetic appeals. "'They would make him feel a perfect beast, "'and yet he did not see with what he had to blame himself. "'He put off his answer from day to day, "'and then another letter would come, "'saying she was ill and lonely and miserable. "'I wish to God I'd never had anything to do with her,' he said. "'He admired Watson because he arranged these things so easily.' The young man had been engaged in an intrigue with a girl who played in touring companies, and his account of the affair filled Philip with envious amazement. But after a time, Watson's young affections changed, and one day he described the rupture to Philip. "'I thought it was no good making any bones about it, so I just told her I'd had enough of her,' he said. "'Didn't she make an awful scene?' asked Philip. "'The usual thing, you know.' but I told her it was no good trying that sort of thing with me. Did she cry? She began to, but I can't stand women when they cry. So I said she'd better hook it. Philip's sense of humor was growing keener with advancing years. And did she hook it? he asked, smiling. Well, there wasn't anything else for her to do, was there? End of segment four. CHAPTER 37 SEGMENT 5 Meanwhile the Christmas holidays approached. Mrs. Carey had been ill all through November, and the doctor suggested that she and the vicar should go to Cornwall for a couple of weeks round Christmas so that she should get back her strength. The result was that Philip had nowhere to go, and he spent Christmas Day in his lodgings. Under Hayward's influence, he had persuaded himself that the festivities that attend the season were vulgar, and barbaric, and he made up his mind that he would take no notice of the day. But when it came, the jollity of it all affected him strangely. His landlady and her husband were spending the day with a married daughter, and to save trouble, Philip announced that he would take his meals out. He went up to London towards midday, and ate a slice of turkey and some Christmas pudding by himself at Gaddy's and since he had nothing to do afterwards, went to Westminster Abbey for the afternoon service. The streets were almost empty, and the people who went along had a preoccupied look. They did not saunter, but walked with some definite goal in view, and hardly anyone was alone. To Philip they all seemed happy. He felt himself more solitary than he had ever done in his life. His intention had been to kill the day somehow in the streets and then dine at a restaurant, but he could not face again the sight of cheerful people talking, laughing, and making merry, so he went back to Waterloo and on his way through the Westminster Bridge Road bought some ham and a couple of mince pies and went back to Barnes. He ate his food in his lonely little room and spent the evening with the book. His depression was almost intolerable. When he was back at the office it made him very sore to listen to Watson's account of the short holiday. They had some jolly girls staying with them, and after dinner they had cleared out the drawing-room and had a dance. I didn't get to bed till three, and I don't know how I got there then. By George I was squiffy. At last Philip asked desperately, How does one get to know people in London? Watson looked at him with surprise and with a slightly contemptuous amusement. "'Oh, I don't know. One just knows them. If you go to dances, you soon get to know as many people as you can do with.' Philip hated Watson, and yet he would have given anything to change places with him. The old feeling that he had back at school came back to him, and he tried to throw himself into the other skin, imagining— what life would be like if he were Watson. End of Segment 5